Let's jump into the word this morning. We are in a series called Sold Out, and I knew God called us to go through this entire book from a 30,000-foot view and to kind of land on, on ground level for a few chapters, and, and I didn't know that this stuff obviously would be happening with Israel. We see how the church responds to persecution. We see how the church responds to uh, injustice and crazy things that are going on, chaos, really. And so we, we land here in Acts chapter 4 this week, verses 1 through 12. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. You have to know this, in Acts chapter 3, there was a miracle that just took place. Someone was physically healed, jumping up and down, undeniable. And so the religious are upset. They're like, how did this happen? You can't take credit for this. What's going on here? Verse 2, they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. Come on, so the number of men grew to about 5,000. It went from 120 in the upper room, filled with the Holy Ghost, to 3,000 at Pentecost. And then we see now to 5,000. The next day, the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. And they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, with the, filled with the Holy Spirit, you got to know Peter was the same guy that cut a dude's ear off. Peter was the same guy that denied Jesus three times. Peter was the same coward that went to courageous by the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now stands before them and says, rulers and elders of the people, I once denied Jesus, but now I want to tell you this. If we are being called to an account of the act of kindness shown to the man who was lame and now being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Christ of Nazareth, the name above all names, the king above all kings, the Lord above all lords, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, the gospel that we were separated from God because of our sin. But thanks be to God. Somebody give the Lord a shout of praise that he, he entered in on our behalf. He died the death that you and I deserve so that we could have eternal life to not be separated from God for eternity. Because of the gospel, because of the power of the spirit, this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone, verse 11, which you builders rejected. Now there's a lot of context here because he's speaking to Jewish leaders who are looking for the Messiah, but their pride blinded them. They were this close to the Messiah, and they said, he's still not it because of their pride. They couldn't see through the eyes of their heart spiritually, so it's biblical, it's, it's prophecy being fulfilled that this is the stone you builders rejected. You wanted a savior, he came, but you missed him. He has become the cornerstone. Verse 12, salvation is found in no one else. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other religion. There is no other New Age meditation. There is no other, other way. It is Jesus, crucified, buried, and resurrected. He is salvation. There is no other name under heaven which we must be saved. I want to share with you more of the story, but I want to give you the title of the message as we jump in first. Can't stop, won't stop. This is the early church. This is the book of Acts. I want to give you a couple other acronyms. I think when I look at what the devil wants the church to be today, even think about what's happening in the Middle East, thinking about the fear and the anxiety. Maybe you've been watching the news a lot. Maybe you've been on Instagram, Twitter, and it's just like, you know, when you get into that black hole, you're like, oh my gosh, why can't I stop scrolling and scrolling? This is an acronym I think the devil wants the church to be today. Alone, cautious, timid, 
and safe, comfortable. Can I give you a new acronym for this chapter today? To be armored, catalytic in the gospel, tenacious, fearless for the name of Jesus, and to be steadfast in your walk with him. Is anybody with me this morning? Just say amen. Okay, come on, let's go. Let's go this morning. Here's number one, armored. Here's a funny side story to just give some comic relief in the room. Anyone heard of that, Steph Curry? Now you're already thinking Under Armour. You know why he didn't take the deal with Nike? Because they wouldn't let him put Philippians 4.13 on the shoe. Side note, love that. Armored. Under armor. You're either under attack or you're under armor. Number one, armored. I want to just share a little bit of context here. We got to know that there is this thing called the prosperity gospel that's running rampant throughout America. You see it on Instagram reels. You see it on YouTube. It gets a lot of likes and reposts because it's the health, wealth, and happiness gospel. Now, hear me clearly. I'm not a doom and gloom preacher. There's the prosperity gospel and there's the poverty gospel. The prosperity gospel says, I follow Jesus. He gives me everything I could ever want like a vending machine. Just hit the button, pray the right prayers, and he'll give me what I want. And then there's the poverty gospel. It's like we're always going to suffer. Everything's always hard. It's like I I tell you this a lot, but we're not supposed to go from bummer to bummer. We're going from glory to glory. But we have to redefine what prosperity means because to prosper in the kingdom means something else than in the world's eyes. You, you are called to prosper in the kingdom, to be spiritually intimate with the Lord, rich in intimacy. I tell this to people sometimes, they get all weird about it. God wants you to be rich, rich in intimacy, rich in intimacy with him. Because you know, I heard this quote the other day, I was talking to a mentor, he said, one who has Christ and nothing else has everything. And one who has Christ and has wealth has no more than the person that has just Christ. Christ is everything, he is the prize. Praise be to God. Ephesians tells us to be rich in the kingdom of God. But we have to redefine what that actually means. Jesus tells us in John 15 that the world is going to hate us. He told us in John 16 that people would actually kill other people thinking they're doing a service to God. He told us this, John 16, 4, so that we would be warned about what's coming. What's breaking out in Israel, what's happening all over the world, you know, the closer we get to the end, the closer we get to him. The closer we get to death, the closer we know we're going to see his face. Is anyone thankful for that? That you're not alone this morning, but you can be under armor with the family of God. And so here's Acts 4, 1 through 3. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed. Because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John. They wanted to throw them in jail. But you have to know this about these bold men right here. They were attacked, but they stayed on attack, spiritually speaking. I heard this from another mentor I was talking to recently from Indiana Westland. They developed this discipleship curriculum for their basketball team at Indiana Westland. And they originally called it I Am Third. They still talk about that. They still disciple players. I love it. They, they don't recruit on just talent. They recruit on culture. Isn't that beautiful? Of men that they want to disciple and raise up. This is my alma mater. This is where I went to school. And I was talking to the assistant coach, Jeff Clark, and he came out with this new content. And this is what he called it, praying on offense. See, when I talk about the armor of God, most of us just think of it as in the defensive mind. 
oh, I have to protect myself and make sure that I'm, when I'm under attack, I have my shield. But the Lord also gave you a sword in the name of Jesus. He gave you the word of God, which is your weapon. The word of God is not just meant to be studied intellectually. It's meant to be used spiritually against the evil one. But we have to know the word first to be able to use it. We see this in Matthew chapter 4 where Jesus is tempted by the devil. He doesn't respond with cool ideas or emotions or feelings. He responds with scripture. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Do not X, Y, and Z. He's quoting scripture. The word, did you know, is your weapon. Just tell your neighbor this morning, tell him, the word is your weapon. With everything happening right now, we need to be in the word. Let it saturate our minds. Let it, Isaiah 26, 3, those that keep their minds stayed on the Lord will have perfect peace. As believers in Jesus, this is such good news. You can have peace in the midst of chaos. You can have what Philippians 4 says, peace that transcends your understanding, which means you don't even have to know how everything will go. All you need to know is that Jesus will come back and make all things right, that whether it's death or persecution, neither angels nor demons, nothing could separate you from the love of God that is in Christ. Is anyone thankful for that this morning? I'm thankful that that is the good news. But to pray on defense versus praying on offense are two different things. Some of us need to stay on the attack spiritually. When fear starts to grip your mind, when anxiety and worst case scenarios start to enter in your mind, you gotta know the word, you gotta quote the word, you gotta memorize the word. And so when trouble is breaking out, you can quote Psalm 46 in the moment and say, my God is an ever-present help in time of need. I don't give way to fear, I don't give way to anxiety. Here's what Proverbs 16.32 says, and this is prophetic for today. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He who rules his spirit is better than one who takes a city. Did you know that God has given you authority to rule your spirit? Meaning, you don't always get to control what's happening out here, but you can control what stays in here. What stays in here, what you fix your mind on. I love what Joshua chapter 1 says. The Lord comes to Joshua and he says, Meditate on the word day and night. That you start your day in the word and you end your day with the word. You get the full course meal in the morning. You get the full course meal at lunch and dinner. And then in between, you're getting snacks on the word of God all day long. This is how you keep your peace. You don't get your peace from Fox. You don't get it from CNN. You don't get it from any other social media feed. I promise you that's going to steal your peace eventually. But as the church, we have to say, no, no, I rule my spirit. I rule my spirit in the name of Jesus. Let me give you a phrase for what we can pray into is, I want to be aware of what's going on, but I am not overcome. You are a more than a conqueror in Christ. We have to start to take ownership of what the word says about us, our identity, what it says about our spirit. To say, no, 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 I have royalty flowing through my veins because of the blood of Jesus. I have peace that transcends my understanding. But to be able to actually walk in this authority that the apostles are talking about, you have to first spend time in the secret place. The secret place is where we realign our hearts with the Lord at four or five in the morning. You're like, I see the news. I see what's happening. You feel the fear and anxiety. Can I tell you, that was me all week. And I'm anxious. Anyone else just feel scared this week? That's me. And the Bible reminds us that it doesn't say don't feel scared. It says do not be afraid. It, it is saying that you won't, it's not saying that you won't feel fear. It's saying you don't let fear control you. 
you feel fear and you go anyways. Here's an acronym for the sovereignty of the Lord. I'm so thankful for this. Always controls the final say. Aren't you grateful for that? That no matter who's in power, what's going on, the Lord is in control, amen? I remember being at church this past week. I'm going to shout out Juana Martin. She prayed for me, and, and she had my back. This was the early church. They had each other's back. Acts chapter 4, later on, it says that they prayed together. The whole place was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And I told the dream team this this morning, that it is priceless to be a part of a church you know has your back. It's priceless. And the armor of God, you need to know this, isn't just personal. It's corporate. That there are times I'm so thankful since we're not alone that someone else has to hold up your shield. Come on, someone else has to intervene and intercede on your behalf. I'm thankful that Romans tells us that the Holy Spirit is interceding for us all the time. With wordless groans, Jesus stands at the right hand. He sits at the right hand of the Father, and he intercedes for you. You are not alone. You are not alone. That's why we made those sweatshirts that say alone, and we crossed out the A and the L because you are not alone. Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven at which we must be saved. The Acts church was unapologetic about the gospel. They didn't just say, let me tell you about Jesus and then apologize and feel bad about it. They knew, no, they, they were with Jesus. Some of them, I mean, they saw the nail-scarred hands. They saw his hands. They saw his feet. Even the people that doubted. I mean, Thomas said, I'm not going to believe it until I see the scars on his hand. And aren't you so grateful that Jesus loves us so much that when we doubt, he doesn't shame us. He tells us to come a little closer. If you're doubting this morning, if you're a skeptic, if you're a seeker, can I just tell you? Jesus, your heavenly father, he just says, come a little closer. He is like a roaring lion. I love what, I think it's C.S. Lewis, an early church father. They said, we don't have to defend the gospel. We just let it out of its cage and it will defend itself. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, I'm not intimidated by your doubts. Bring them to me. You don't think I can show up for you financially? You don't think I can show up for you relationally? Just come a little closer. Take a step of faith this morning. So they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or name did you do this? Just to pause here for a moment. We've been working through the last couple of weeks about how to share your faith. And I've been talking a lot about listening and listening and listening. We need a church right now that knows how to listen. Quick to listen, slow to speak, so we can actually understand people before we let our scriptures loose. But I want to give you an acronym that comes from one of our small group books for our circles called CORE. They say this in the book, an acronym. To, if you're trying to witness to your lost friend, your lost neighbor, first begin with prayer. Start praying for them by name. Two, listen. Eat with them. Break bread with them. Jesus sat at tables that we would want to flip. Jesus sat at tables with people that, that were actually seeking and asking and, and would be rejected by society. Jesus sat at those tables. you realize that? Jesus wasn't afraid about being associated with the wrong group. He, he was confident enough. He knew the truth. He is God in the flesh. He wasn't worried about being misunderstood or miscamped. This was the kingdom of God at hand. So we eat with people. We serve them. And then finally, when the door opens, you share. And you share unapologetically. You, you don't have to water it down. You tell them your story. You tell them your testimony. And when God gives you the right window, this has to be the right window, okay? 
I've, I've spent many times walking down the streets of Indianapolis and other places where you see the street preachers, and they're, they're shouting truth, but no one is listening. Why? Because they're not listening. That we first have to be quick to listen, slow to speak. That's in the Bible for a reason. You know that? But when God opens the door, and when someone like 1 Peter 3.15, Peter says this, always be prepared to give what? We got a quiet group this morning. Everybody's like, Andy, I'm, I'm kind of like seeking you out this morning. Okay, okay, everybody say an answer. That first means that we have to listen to give an answer first. This is a moment, an opportunity where you're witnessing to someone. You have a lost friend, a lost neighbor. You're breaking bread with them. You know them. You know what's going on in their life. And then the door opens, and you have to be sensitive enough to the Holy Spirit because the right timing will bear the right fruit. It's all about timing. We can shout truth all day, but it's all about timing. We don't have to water it down. We don't have to say, oh, I never would. When the door opens, you can say, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Here's what he did in my life. Here's number two, catalytic. I love what the early church did. Look at this, Acts 6, 7. So the word of God, what? It spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. A large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Just understand this progression. A lot of these people were spending three years with Jesus. Preparation and teaching of the kingdom culture. They were watching they were learning. They were growing. You know, faith is a muscle. You have to start to operate and, and grow that muscle memory. A lot of us don't trust in God yet because we haven't stepped out yet. Faith is a muscle that we have to exercise. How do I know to trust God with my finances? Well, first, it's biblical. But number two, I've seen him come through. I've, I've blessed people behind closed doors, and then all of a sudden, there's something coming right back to me. You reap what you sow. This isn't prosperity gospel. We are meant to be a river that's flowing, not a lake. But faith is a muscle. A lot of us are saying, Andy, I don't trust God. Prove it to me. You have to step out in faith yourself. You have to be the one to step out in faith when you know they might think you're weird or awkward for sharing your faith, and then you see someone respond, and the light bulb goes off. Faith and trust go hand in hand. So the, the kingdom is increasing rapidly. The priests became obedient to the faith. This is how I said in my notes, the bonfire turned into a wildfire. That's what's happening throughout this book. They seized Peter and John, verse 3. And they put them in jail to the next day. Many who heard the message believed. So the number of men grew to about 5,000. I love this. Every time the devil tried to stomp on the fire, it just spread the, fat, the fire faster. I love this quote as, as I was studying this. Shout out to Faith. She shared this quote with me. In Acts, this is a commentator. They say this. Now, just understand with what's happening in the world right now, okay? The gospel expands not through human strength, but through weakness, opposition, and persecution. Demonic forces, worldly powers and authorities, governmental opposition, language and cultural barriers, intense suffering and bloody persecution unjust imprisonment, unbelief, internal disunity, and even shipwrecks and snakes all threaten to slow down the gospel's advance. But opposition and suffering do not thwart the spread of Jesus' grace. Rather, they fuel it. That's good news. Every time the devil tries to cancel you, it just burns brighter. Every time he tries to dim your light, the Lord says, perfect, 
right here, right now, arise and shine. The darker the world gets, the brighter we will burn as a church. And I don't want to wish doom and gloom, but this is biblical that things would get worse as Jesus is going to return. You know that, right? So I don't rejoice at what's happening. We mourn, we grieve, we intercede. I mean, my heart is literally ripped to pieces this week. But I'm also so thankful that we know Jesus will come again. He will wipe every tear, every single tear that has come from your eye. He is holding in a bottle. He knows you by name. He knows your greatest fears. And here's the thing about, I love about Jesus is he doesn't ask us to do anything he wasn't first willing to do himself. He asks us to lay his, our life down. He already laid his life down for us. We shared this quote last week that if Jesus died for us publicly, how could we live for him just in private? So here's what we see later on in Acts. Therefore, chapter 5, they, they tell these men, they say, leave these men alone, let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail, verse 39. But if it is from God, let's just read that together. If it is from God, not be able to stop these men, you will only find yourselves fighting against God. In other words, the early church, the book of Acts, they were unstoppable. No matter what came against them, Genesis 50 says that what the enemy intended for evil, God will use for good. That's biblical. I'm praising God for that. Look at what Tertullian says, the early church father. The blood of the martyrs is actually just the seed of the church. That's the power of the gospel story. That's the power of the book of Acts. That Every time the devil tries to stomp it, every time he tries to make it stop, oh, we can't spread this thing, it just keeps multiplying. It just keeps flourishing. It just keeps going to a new neighborhood, a new zip code, because nothing can stop the kingdom of God breaking out. Do you believe that this morning? Here's number three. The early church was tenacious. Maybe uh, some of the younger people would say they were savage for Jesus. Savage in a good way, okay? Look at Acts 4, 13 through 16. They saw the what? The courage of Peter and John. Realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished. They, they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and conferred together. What, we're, what are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they've performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. This is what signs and wonders do, miracles. They confirm the gospel. The word and the spirit confirm one another. When there's a miracle in the spiritual realm, it should just confirm the word of God. This was what we would call power evangelism, where they weren't just relying on their testimony, their intellect, and the scriptures. They were relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, they literally say, there's nothing we could do to deny it. Why? Because of the miracle of God in that moment. That's the God that we serve. He still does miracles. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. I think many times in America we say, we don't see miracles anymore. We don't see these things happening. We don't see spiritual things breaking out. But when you go to third world countries, you all, when I've been to South Africa, when I've been to Nicaragua, when I've been to Israel and other places, you see miracles. Because oftentimes, spiritual warfare there is black and white. It's not gray. In America, spiritual warfare is very gray. It's hidden. It's behind the screen. It's behind the things that we're inviting into our life, the music that we listen to, the people that we encounter. When In South Africa, sometimes you either worship the devil or you worship Jesus. Miracles. Do you believe in miracles today? I've been talking 
with the Lord in my quiet time about this, man, the Lord is, is calling us deeper this morning. He's calling us deeper. And this is what we would call sometimes a weeding out process to see if we are really true disciples or not. The Lord said that he would sift us. Sometimes he allows spiritual attack to reveal our actual devotion to Jesus. Are, are we in it to get things from him or are we in it because we're truly crucified to Christ? It'll test us, it'll refine us, it'll purify our hearts. And, and man, I've been thinking about this question and I don't want to be a, a, a radical or someone crazy, but, but this is the question that's been on my heart this week is, would you be willing to die for your faith? You, you might say, Andy, that, that, that's radical. I would say it's biblical. You look at the disciples, so many of them died. They were crucified. We say, I'm crucified to Christ. They meant that literally. We take that just spiritually. And I, I, I would go another question, and I know we're going deep this morning. Some of you are like, Andy, this is heavy. If I'm not willing to die for him, am I truly living for him? This is the question I had to ask myself this week. If the answer is no, then what does that say about my relationship with Jesus right now? But aren't you grateful for the grace of God, the patience of our Lord? You know, if I, if I got asked this question, would I be willing to die for Jesus 10 years ago? The answer would have been no. But that was before I saw 10 years of him comforting me, him loving me, him showing up for me. I mean, literally when people betrayed me, Jesus was there. When I was processing through abuse in a counselor's room, I mean, Jesus was there. I mean, it's the moments where I'm repenting for being in the party scene. Jesus was there. Man, I will go to the grave for Christ. I've seen him. I love what scripture says, that you are filled with inexpressible joy and you have not seen him yet. Imagine if you did see his face. Imagine if you knew that every step closer to death, you're one step closer to seeing his face. And we would say, Andy, that's radical. That's biblical. Here's what faith is often spelled as, risk, R-I-S-K. Since then, Colossians tells us, since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now let this sink in, verse two. This is what happens when we believe in the gospel, we surrender to Christ. Set your minds on earthly things, on, on things that are above, not on earthly things. Verse three, for you what? For you die. And your life is now hidden with Christ. Verse four, when Christ who is your what? You already died. If you're truly saying Jesus is my Lord, my Savior, that is already a call to say come and die. That is the seed that plants into harvest of resurrection life. And here's the truth. You can't kill someone who's already died. That's why they hated the early church. That's why they would consider them savage for Jesus is because you had men, you had women saying, I mean, I guess if the worst thing you could try to do is persecute me, put me in jail, guess what? I'm just one step closer to him. I'm just one step closer to eternity. You cannot kill a dead man walking. That is good news. That should fire us up as a church to say, what is the worst thing that could happen to us? Like, like just put that in your mind. Jesus has already overcome that. He has already conquered the grave. He has already conquered death. He has given you peace that surpasses understanding. You will be reunited with your family if they're believers. That's good news. Philippians 1.21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. The early church had an eternal perspective. Do you have an eternal perspective this morning? 
That's freedom. Because then you don't depend on all your circumstances here. You put all your stock and your worth in the next life. That's good news. Here's number four. Would you stand to your feet? So let us be a church that's armored. Let, let us be a church that, that is as catalytic like the early church. Let us be a church that is tenacious. But number four is steadfast. I told you earlier this morning there's a big difference between passion and zeal. I don't want to just be a passionate believer. I want to be a zealous believer. Acts 4, 17. But to stop this thing from spreading any further, we must warn them to speak no longer in the name of Jesus. And when they called them in again, commanded them not to speak or teach at all. Look at their response, verse 19. Which is right in God's eyes? I love this. To listen to you or to listen to him? Talk about a tenacity group of believers. For we... Verse 20, we cannot help ourselves about what we have seen and heard. Isaiah chapter 62 says, I will not keep quiet. I will not keep silent until the salvation of a blazing torch shines out into all the world. Verse 21, after further threats, they let them go. They cannot decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God. Isn't that hilarious that God is so sovereign? He's so in control that you try to come against them, you're just fighting against God. And it gets turned right back on them. See, the Acts church was uncompromising and unwavering. Can I give you a new phrase as we close this morning? Steadfast over flashy. Let us be a church that is steadfast. Let us be a church that's resilient. You know, I, I don't know how everything's gonna shake out, but I do know that ACTS acronym, that God always controls the final say. Do you believe that this morning? He is in control. He's in control. Turn to your neighbor, tell him he's in control. You, you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry, he's in control. He holds your life in the palm of his hands. And you know what I think God is doing as this is shaking up the church everywhere? You know what's gonna happen? In 10, 20, 30 years right now, this is what's gonna happen. There will be a remnant that is fiercely devoted to him, that is uncompromising, unwavering, and will be misunderstood, will be thrown to the wolves at times. But if he is for us, come on, who could be against us? If he's already all around us, if he is before us, if he's behind us, if he's beside us, and he's given us the church to do life with, what do we have to fear? David says, Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. He's my stronghold of whom shall I fear? Even when they rise up all around me, even then, somebody say, even then, even then I will have confidence. The Lord wants to give you all this morning an even then confidence. Where even if things took the worst turn you could ever imagine, I love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even if we're still not gonna bow down. And the joy of the Lord gives us a smile on our face while we say it, right? He's already gone before us. Maybe I'm talking to two groups of people. Maybe I'm talking to one group this morning that's believers and you're saying, Andy, I'm, I've been crippled with fear and anxiety this week. Like I, I just need this even if faith. Maybe I'm talking to another group that's saying, Andy, I, I'm not even if, I'm, I'm, I'm all out for God, but I wanna be all in. Can I talk to this group for a second and just let you know that it's no accident you're here this morning. 
is not a coincidence. You're not just here to, to, to see me speak and have our microphone. I believe God orchestrated it for you to hear the good news that Jesus died for you. He loves you. He has a plan for your life. I don't know who I'm talking to you. He has plans to prosper you and not to harm you. He wants to give you a new start today. We got baptism Sunday coming up in November. I believe there'll be plenty of people that say, I'm all in. But that decision can start today. He's given his life for you. He knows you. He loves you. Maybe I'm talking to the believers this morning and we've put our stock and our worth in, in, in temporary things and the Lord is saying, can you have even if faith? A faith that says I'm armored. Man, and it's gonna be catalytic. I'm gonna make disciples who make disciples on the way. And it's gonna be a fierce, tenacious life that, that goes after the presence of God, that goes after making an impact. I love what Caleb said, to change the world. To say, I'm, I'm steadfast, man. This is not passion, this is zeal. Would you pray with me this morning, Father, we come to you. And you're drawing a line in the sand this morning, Lord, and I love it. And I thank you for your grace. You didn't come to condemn us, you came to save us. That even if our answer was no this morning to some of the deep questions I'm asking, God, I thank you right now, you're giving us a second chance. truly be sold out sold out and so for for the first response for people that are saying Andy I don't even know if I'm saved I'm not even sure if I'm all in for God on the count of three I'm just going to give you a chance to raise your hand to say here today I give my life to God I want to know that I'm going to spend eternity with him I want to have a fresh start today I want to give my life to the Lord and fully surrender to him one two three just shoot your hand up if that's you I see your hand. Anyone else want to make that decision? And we can pray this prayer out loud together since we are a church family. You can just say this under your breath with me. Father, forgive me. I've sinned against you. Thank you for your grace. You are the son of God. You did die for me and you rose for me. I give you my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit to tell others about how you've changed my life. And the response number two for the believers, if you are saying, Andy, man, I've I just been crippled under anxiety and worry and fear. I just need, even if faith this morning, would you just shoot your hand up? I'm right there with you. Father, we don't know how everything will shake out in our world, but what we do know we cling to that you will make all things right. You will wipe every tear. God, every loved one that passes away, God, if they know you, we will be reunited with them again one day. God, that's good news. So right now I ask for the believers, fill us with the Holy Spirit like never before, God. Let it be overflowing. Let it be bold. Let it be tenacious. Let it be steadfast. God, let it be unwavering. Let it be uncompromising. Let a remnant of your church rise up, say here and now, even if I'm sold out. And Father, I love what you told us in Acts, that it says even if, when the even if came true for the apostles, the disciples, you filled them with great joy. Even hearing a testimony, Lord, that there's a pastor in Israel right now that shared a video saying he was filled with great joy that Jesus would be returning soon, that he had peace in his heart, even with chaos all around him. God, I pray you'd fill us with great joy to testify unapologetically about who you are. 
And it's in Jesus' name all God's people said amen and amen. I love y'all. We got to go there. We got to go there. It's time. So as we close with worship, I know it was a heavy word this morning, but can we worship out of that unapologetic, unwavering, and give God the glory he deserves?